Hey there, this is Zach from Cornerstone Assembly in Truro, Nova Scotia. Thanks for checking out this message. If you're looking for more information about our church, check us out online at truerochurch.ca. Now to the message. I want to invite you this morning, would you open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to be reading from there this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is a verse we've been camping out on this morning. And it's a verse you've probably heard before at weddings. Uh, You've probably heard it at different moments like that, significant moments in people's lives. It's often called the love chapter because Paul describes what love really looks like. What does love look like in our relationships? What does love look like in our walks with each other? And in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 4, we're going to pick up the story today. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 4. Paul describes what love is, and I've got it on the screen if you don't have your Bibles with us this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul says, this is what love is. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Love never fails. Over these last few weeks, we've been looking at what love really is. What is love? Because love is more than just a feeling. Love is an active, intentional choice. And I worded that very intentionally because love is a feeling, certainly. I know we've all experienced the feelings of love. You know what I'm talking about? You know those fluttery feelings? You know those moments when you first saw that person, you locked eyes across the room, and you thought, oh man, she, he is the most beautiful, handsome individual I've ever seen. You know, come on, you know what I'm talking about, folks? You know what I'm saying? You know, that moment where your knees go weak and your eyes start to flutter. You know, maybe I'm just about to faint, but maybe, <laughs> maybe it's not that either. Maybe I've just had too much to drink. Uh, <laughs> either way, yeah, I was looking across the room, you see somebody, you, that feeling of love begins to rise within your heart. But love is more than just a feeling. Love is a choice. A choice to, to run towards others, to, to disregard oneself in acting, lifting somebody up in a generous way. And I love what Pastor Janetta did last week with the story of Jonah. The story of Jonah, looking at that. If you missed it, let me give you a quick recap so you understand where we've been and where we're going. The story of Jonah is very much a kind of a fairy tale story. It seems kind of outlandish, and it certainly it seems to end this way as well. Jonah is called by God to go on this grand adventure to big bad people in a faraway empire. And he's, he's calling Jonah really to, to, to move towards love, to move towards repentance, to move towards patience, to move towards generosity, to move towards others. He's calling Jonah to move towards love. But because of Jonah's selfishness, because of his pride, because of his his bitterness and his anger, he moves the opposite direction of what God is calling from him. He moves away from the type of love that God is wanting to produce within his life. And here's the thing, God is wanting to produce this love within your life. This is the same love that God is calling you and I to. God is calling you and I to move towards others in love because God wants to produce that type of love that we just read in your life. He wants to produce love that is patient, love that is kind, love that is generous, love that overflows from you. He wants this to flow and bloom within your heart. And God's desire for you is that you would actually have healthy and thriving relationships in every part of your life. 
relationships with your, your coworkers, relationships with, with your neighbors, with your classmates, relationships with your spouse, relationships with your kids even, all of them. He's calling us and inviting us into this journey to begin moving in love towards other people. Listen, I don't know anybody that doesn't want to be more patient. Come on. I don't know anybody that doesn't need a little bit more kindness in our hearts. Come on. Right? Come on. Yeah. You guys are really quiet this morning. Give me a little bit of feedback. Say, yeah. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. I don't know anybody that doesn't want to experience generosity flowing from their hearts. I know we want to be generous people. We want to experience these things in our lives. But what I love about Jonah's story is it actually ends on a really sour note. And it ends in such a way, thank you, (laughs) it ends in such a way that Jonah actually moves in the opposite direction and none of the things God wanted to do within him happen. None of the of the love gets produced in his life. And this is where the, the fairy tale ends. Because even though his feet were moving, His heart was very far from God. And he actually doesn't allow God to do something in his heart. And and the story ends in chapter 4 with with Jonah obeying God with his actions and actually refusing to let God change his heart, which which was God's goal all along, to change his heart and to produce something in him. And that would have transformed his relationships with others, right? That would have completely changed the way he saw other people if God had even allowed God to change his heart. That would have allowed him to experience what God was calling him into. And what I love about this story is it really just just takes the glasses off. The, the, The fairy tale version of love that so many of us have fallen for and believe. You know, that fairy tale version of love. You know, you know what I'm talking about? It's the kind that, you know, it's Disney, Disney love, uh, branded. Disney, don't copyright sue us. <laughs> you know, that's what I'm talking about. It's that kind of love. The fairy tale love that all of us grew up with. You know, the love you see in movies and in TV shows and in books. You, you know what I'm talking about? I mean, know what I'm talking about? Give me a nod this morning if you're, if you're awake and you're paying attention. Can I see? Thank you. Thank you very much. It's that fluttery fairy tale love that always ends in what way? Anybody? How does that always end? Thank you. Happily ever after. It always ends happily ever after. Always. That's, that's what love really is. I, I uh, had the opportunity recently, we got Disney Plus, the new streaming service. You know, everyone's got the streaming service now. So we got Disney Plus, and we were watching um, Aladdin, the live-action remake. Anybody seen this? Anybody seen this movie? Yeah, okay. Yeah, on a scale, would you give me a thumbs up uh, or a down for that? Thumbs up? Oh, okay, good. Yeah, this, this crowd is very forgiving. Okay, thank you, Davey. I'm with you. I was, you know, it was okay. It wasn't as bad as people said it was, but it wasn't great. Because um, it's a live-action remake of the old the animated cartoon from the 90s. You know what I'm talking about? Aladdin, anybody? Genies and stuff? If you don't know the story of Aladdin, let me tell you, because clearly some people here don't. Um, the story of Aladdin is, is about this, this thief in this Middle Eastern fictional nation. And, and he is, he's going around and he, he lies his way into the royal palace. He steals his way into the princess's heart with the help of a magic genie he finds in a lamp. You know, Robin Williams, it's great. Or Will Smith in the new version. Depends who you like more. And at the end of the story, it's really interesting, the end of the story, after all of the lying, after all of the stealing, after all of the betrayal, everything's just fine. And, like, everything's totally good. Like, you, you lied to my face about who you were, what your identity was, and what you're doing here. But uh, that's fine. And the sultan gives the princess to, to our, our hero, Aladdin, the one who's lied and cheated his way into this position, says, here, you can marry my daughter. And they all lived happily ever after. Yes, thank you. They all lived happily ever after. But, but how many have discovered 
that love is more complicated than Disney has told us it is. Anybody? Anybody in this place? Say, yeah, come on, right? How many have discovered that if you're lied to, that if somebody steals from you, someone betrays your trust, that can be kind of hurtful? Anybody experienced that? Yeah, come on. Even in the relationships we currently have and we experience with others in our lives. You know, it's pretty hard in those moments to, to move on from those things. And yet somehow, somehow in the midst of those relationships, God says, I still want to produce this kind of love in your life. He's still calling us like Jonah to move towards other people in love. And that's, that's pretty hard, though, when we've experienced that kind of hurt, right? That can be pretty difficult when we have a hard time trusting somebody after they've let us down. I don't know if I can trust them, and yet God is calling me to move towards them. How am I supposed to do that? How do you love when you've been hurt or betrayed? That's a question I want to answer for us this morning. And what I want to do this morning is actually look at a lesser-known story in the Old Testament about a man very much like some of us here. He was a man, a father, a husband, just a dad, trying to do his best to love God and to love other people and just to keep his family together. That's who he was, and this is what he was about. But he finds himself, he finds himself hurting, he finds himself betrayed, and not knowing what to do next. And his name is Hosea. Hosea, and you can find his story in the book of Hosea in the Old Testament. So get your Bibles, would you turn there with me today? We're going to be camping in Hosea, but keep a finger in 1 Corinthians 13, because we're going to be flipping back to that throughout the message this morning. It's Ezekiel, Daniel, and then Hosea in the Old Testament. And while you're turning there, let me tell you what you need to know about Hosea this morning. What you need to know is that about Hosea is that he lived in Israel during one of its darkest times. And that's because Jeroboam II was king of Israel. And Jeroboam II was probably one of Israel's worst kings. He allowed injustice to flourish, for slavery to run rampant. He allowed child sacrifice to go unpunished and actually promoted and advocated for these things. And so God promised that he would bring judgment on this wicked king and this wicked nation from an enemy empire that showed up called the Assyrians in 721 BC and they completely ransacked them. But Hosea, Hosea saw all of this coming. He saw all of this coming because in the midst of all this, God had called Hosea he calls him out and he speaks to him and says, I want to call you to live as an example in the midst of a really dark world. Just like God often calls you and I to be examples in a really dark world. Listen, it's really easy to say, well, everyone else is hurting and broken. Shouldn't I be too? Everyone else is at each other's throats. Shouldn't I be too? Everyone else treats the people this way. Shouldn't I do the same? Shouldn't I be cynical? Shouldn't I be sarcastic? Shouldn't I guard my heart and be all up with my walls and these sorts of things, shouldn't I be too? Well, they're broken, shouldn't I be also? Well, God says, no, actually, I'm calling you to something different. I want you to experience something better, something richer. He's calling you and I to be examples of God's hope and God's love to others in a really dark time. And this is the landscape. This is the backdrop into which we, we pick up Hosea's story. Hosea chapter 1, verse 2. Read along with me if you have your Bibles here today. So we see that the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea. 
And he says to him something very strange. He says to him something very strange. He says, go, Hosea, and marry a prostitute so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. Now, that's very strange. You've got to admit with me this morning. Why would God say, I want you to go marry a prostitute? Listen, we, we know God has called us to be examples in a really dark world, but, but I don't, I'm not marrying a prostitute, that's for sure. But he tells us why. He tells us exactly why in verse 3. Check it out, verse 3. He says this. He says, look, this is going to do something very important. This will, can we say this word together? This will illustrate. This will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and by worshiping other gods. So he says, listen, Hosea, your life is an illustration. It's an example. It's a picture of a bigger truth, something going on behind the scenes. And that truth is simply this. That truth is simply this, that God calls broken people to love broken people. God calls broken people to love broken people. And this is the whole premise on which the Bible is built. This is the whole premise of the story, because we're messed up and broken people. We're sinners in need of a Savior. That's why I follow Jesus. Not because I'm perfect, but precisely because I'm not. That's exactly why we follow Jesus. And our relationships often reflect that brokenness within us. Anybody experience this? You know what I'm talking about? Our relationships will be sometimes a reflection of what's going on in our hearts. But then for some reason, for some reason, we're surprised when others hurt us and let us down. Even though we know this is exactly what's going to happen. Even though we know God said this is what's going to happen. Even though we know that we're broken and he calls us to be in loving relationships with others who are also broken. But listen, he's not calling you to stay in your brokenness. He's not calling you to stay in that place. He's he's calling you to reflect and to experience something different in your relationships than everybody else around you. He's calling you to experience something richer, something better, something deeper, something more life-giving. He's calling us to experience the type of relationship that only comes from being connected to and experiencing the love of God in your life. Let me show you what I mean, okay? So God says to Hosea, listen, your relationship is an illustration. It's a picture. It's an example. I want to use it to show something bigger. But unfortunately for Hosea, his relationship is a rather disappointing illustration. Could we agree about that this morning? I don't know about you, but if God said to me, go marry a prostitute, I'd be pretty disappointed. I might have a few words for God. I might have a few things to say about what this is saying here. So go marry a prostitute, someone with a past. Someone with some baggage. Someone who's going to hurt you and who's going to let you down. And by all accounts, Hosea had every right to refuse. Just like you and I have the right to refuse. God never forces any of us to follow him. He never forces any of us to obey his way of living. We don't have to do that. Hosea could have been very angry. He could have been very resentful. He could have held this anger against God. And he could have held her past against her. And said, well, you know, all the garbage that you've been through... All of these things that have gone forth in your life, I'm going to hold this against you. But that's actually, it's not the response we see from Hosea. What we see instead in verse 3 is that Hosea married Gomer. There's a name. <laughs> Hosea married Gomer, the daughter of Dibliam. And she became pregnant and gave Hosea a son. It's funny, instead of seeing this anger and this resentment, 
and this holding against her, what we see instead is obedience, and what we see instead is love. We see the type of love that Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 13. The type of love he could only show if he was first connected to and experiencing it in his own life. It's love that does not demand its own way, even though he had every right to have rejected God and done his own thing. It is love that is not irritable or resentful, even though he could have been very upset and irritable at God and at this new wife of his. It keeps no record of wrongs, even though Gomer had a very long laundry list of things that she'd gone through and had done wrong. No, Hosea chooses to love. He chooses to love even if it doesn't feel like it, even if it's inconvenient, because I got a truth for you this morning. You need to understand, love is often inconvenient. Anybody discover that today? Love is often inconvenient and rarely comes when we feel like it. But Hosea chooses to love anyways. And he enters into this relationship with Gomer, and they have three kids. And you can read a bit about more in the first chapter. I'm not going to go into it this morning in very much depth. But their kids have some names that reflect their relationship. And their kids' names are very symbolic, even as we have names that are symbolic. Right now, Elandra and I are expecting our first little girl. We're very excited. It's great, coming in May. And people ask us all the time, Zach, can we know the name? And I say, no, you may not know the name. It's my name. I'm keeping it very close to myself. It's a very precious thing. We're picking this name out. But these names are significant in our lives, right? We pick a name with significance and with meaning. And the names that God tells Hosea to use in this name are very interesting. He, he says the, the names you're going to give the kids, their meaning is scattered. Your first son's name is scattered. Your second daughter's name is no mercy. And your third son's name, his name's going to be not my people. Which is exactly what you'd expect to experience from a relationship disconnected from the love of God. You see, it's a relationship that's scattered. It's a relationship with no mercy. It's a relationship with no commitment. That's exactly what happens with Gomer and with Hosea. Gomer runs off with another man. Their marriage falls apart. She actually finds herself once again in slavery, serving as a, as a prostitute. And here's, here's Hosea. He's, he's left at home with the kids. He's feeling hurt. He's feeling lost. He's feeling betrayed. Listen, some of you guys have found yourself in this place yourselves. For no reason, no fault of your own, you've experienced heartbreak, you've experienced people who have let you down, you've experienced people that have betrayed you. Even, maybe not in a marriage relationship, but even in your co-workers, even in your friendships, even in your family members. I know family members can cause a lot of heartbreak. Agreed? Some of us have experienced these things. But I'm here to tell you today something you need to understand. I'm here to tell you that God knows. God sees. God understands the hurt and the heartache. And I love what he says in chapter 2. Chapter 2, man, if you just read through this, I would encourage you to read through this chapter and read through God's heart for his people. You can begin to see God's anger at sin, his pain at the situation, the, the hurt and the sadness that overwhelms God's heart for this broken relationship. And you need to understand this morning, if you've gone through a broken relationship, you've gone through a broken heartache, this is God's heart for you. He's not happy about what happened. He's very broken by it. He's very upset by it. He calls you to say, listen, I know, I understand. I don't know if you've ever prayed an angry prayer, but I have. 
quite a few times, as a matter of fact. Moments where you find yourself in a really broken, hurt, messed up moment. And you just need to begin to talk to God about what's going on in your heart and what's going on in your life. And God, I'm pretty upset about the situation right now. Listen, God can take that. I think he wants that from us. I think he'd rather us throw that at him than at our other people in our relationships. Because he understands, he knows, and man, his heart is burdened for you in your brokenness. But this example with Hosea and Gomer, it's, it's more than just one marriage. Remember, God said this is an illustration. It's a picture of something bigger going on. His, his marriage, his breakdown, all of this is a picture of something larger that's happening. And Hosea's marriage is meant to be this reflection of human relationships that are messed up and broken. But it's also, it's also meant to be a reflection of our relationship with God. Because when God rescued Israel out of slavery, out of Egypt, he said, I'm going to bring you into relationship with me. I'm going to make a covenant with you. That word covenant, it's the same word that's used when we talk about a marriage ceremony. When you are getting married to somebody, you make a commitment, you make a covenant to them in that moment. Say, I'm going to be with you through thick or through thin. This is what's going to happen. This is the commitment I'm making to you. And God enters into a covenant with you and with I. He enters into a covenant with us to commit with us, to be there for us, to provide for us. But he did so knowing we were broken. He did so knowing we would betray him. He did so knowing we had issues and things that would keep us from his love. And he knows that our hearts are broken and that we would cause him pain and destroy that relationship by our mistakes and our choices, just like Hosea and Gomer. It's a picture of my walk with God. I don't know if you can be real with yourself this morning, but I can be real with myself. This is a picture of my walk with Jesus. I betray him and walk away from him. I hurt him and cause him pain, and yet he still commits to me and loves me anyways. He knew that was going to happen, but he said, I'm going to go to the cross for you anyway, Zach. Gomer cheats on Jose, runs off with another man. He actually gets herself into really big trouble. Instead of being set free and finding this experience of freedom like she once was, she finds herself in prostitution. Once again, being bought and sold as a slave and just racking up a debt. I mean, I, now, I don't know about you, but seeing somebody suffer can sometimes feel kind of good, right? Can, can we just admit that for a bit? Seeing, seeing somebody who has hurt you or does something wrong to you biff it really hard and do a face plant feels kind of good, right? <laughs> yeah? I remember there was one time at youth camp. I was probably like 12 years old, and there's a whole bunch of us, like teenagers, uh, and we're hanging out. It's like 30 degrees outside, so we're all like, you know, a bunch of sweaty teenage boys without our shirts on, and we're in the camp cabin, you know, really appetizing stuff. Come on, guys. I don't understand why the ladies weren't all over me at that point. And so <laughs> we're there, and we're spending time together, and for some reason, at this point in time, five stars were a really big thing. Anybody know what a five star is? Five star? Yeah, thank you. Of course. Thank you, Caleb. Appreciate that. Five star. So what a five star is, for those who aren't informed, uh, you, five star, one, two, three, four, five on your fingers. What you do is you take that big, open, wide palm, and you wind up as hard as you can, and you get somebody on their bare skin or on their back, and you smack them. Whack! Five stars. Really hard and smack. Because it feels like stinging stars on your back. Five stars. And so teenage boys will do this to each other, because... Why not? And uh, they'll just, you know, start smacking each other as hard as they can to try and get as big a handprint as he possibly can on somebody else's back. <laughs> hey, prefrontal cortex, not fully developed yet. It's all good. We're working on it. 
And so we, we, would do, we would do this, you know, we would, we would be in these games. I remember I was with my friends, and we're, we're trying to, like, you know, sit with our backs against the wall so they wouldn't, they wouldn't get up to us. And then you turn your back, and you get smacked really hard. And I was like, oh, and I was just down on the floor, just aching in pain. And this guy gets up, and he's laughing, he's all clever, whatever. And he was walking out uh, into the hallway, and as he walks out into the hallway, my youth leader, who's, like, double his size and, like, a tank, just biffs him and flattens him to the floor, just completely face plant. There's a big red mic on his back, and he was, like, there for a week afterwards. Like, it was so bad. Like, I'm wondering, I'm like, is this child abuse? Like, this is getting to an issue of, of causing some pain and causing some discomfort here, right? It's getting to be pretty, pretty uncomfortable. Now, I don't know about you, but seeing somebody just absolutely get tanked after they've caused you some pain feels pretty good, right? There's something about that when you see somebody who's hurt you suffer as well, we kind of want to rejoice a little bit. Now, Hosea might have rejoiced here. You see, he sees Gomer, this, this woman who's hurt him, who's caused him pain, rejects him. She's finally getting what she deserves. You know, she's, she's back in this place for all that pain that she's caused me. And, you know, some of us, you know, we feel that way as well. We feel that, that pain that's in our hearts. We gain back all the pain that, that she deserved, you know? But, but, but some of us here today, we feel that way about God, too. You feel like he's just out to get you. You know, you feel like God is just, like, out to cause you pain. God is out to just to smack you on the back and say, oh, you did something wrong. Here, here's what you get, what you deserve now. But I need you to understand something this morning. Love does not rejoice at injustice. But love rejoices when the truth wins out. And here's the truth you need to understand this point. This is the type of love God is calling you to experience in your life, in your relationships, in your family, your home, your school. He's saying, I want you to experience a love that does not do this, but a love that is patient, a love that is kind, a love that is not jealous or boastful or proud, a love that does not demand its own way, it keeps no record of wrongs, a love that, I love this last line, does not rejoice at wrong but rejoices when the truth wins out. This is the type of love God's wanting to produce within your life. And Hosea's marriage is a reflection of that, but also of our relationship with God. You see, in this story, we automatically think we're Hosea, right? We read this and we're like, oh yeah, I'm Hosea. I'm the good guy that's been wronged. But if we're honest with ourselves, more likely, we're Gomer. We're the one who's cut our losses and run. If we're honest with ourselves, we can recognize that we're broken too. You know, that, that we're now a slave once again. A slave to hurt. A slave to bitterness. We're a slave to, to anger. A slave to resentment. A slave to pain. These things are ruling our lives. And it has actually disconnected you from the love of God. The love that God is wanting to produce within your life. That very love he's trying to raise within you, that love that is patient and loving and kind. And there's somebody here this morning that is realizing this right now, that what you thought was freedom has actually been your chains. What you thought was freedom has actually been the very thing that's been keeping you in bondage and keeping you alone. And now you're wondering if you're even worthy to be called the child of God anymore because you're holding on to all this stuff because of the mess that you've caused. If that's you today, I need you to understand something about the love and grace of God. That despite our mistakes, despite our sin, despite our anger, despite our bitterness, all of those things, he still loves you with an unshakable, unquenchable love that pursues you to the ends of the earth. And Jesus will never let you go. Even here in this story, after all the anger, chapter 2, verse 14, turn with me there. 
after all of the anger, after all of the hurt that God experiences in this relationship, after everything that's gone wrong and all the pain that's been caused, look at what he says about Israel. He, look what he says. He says about you. This is what God says about you. He says, look, I will win her back. I will win her back once again. And I will lead her into the desert. I will speak tenderly to her there. I will return her vineyards to her and transform the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. Some of you in this place this morning have found yourself in a valley of trouble. Trouble of your own making or of something that's happened to you. Whatever that trouble is this morning, God says, I'm going to take that valley of trouble. I'm going to turn it into a door of hope, a gateway for a new future so that you can begin to walk into what I have planned for you to experience. This pain, this hurt, this heartbreak is not my plan for your life. My plan is to take what the enemy meant for evil and to cause it to be turned for your good. And in verse 19, he goes on, he says this, I'm going to make her my wife forever. I'm going to show you righteousness and justice, unfailing love and compassion. And I'm going to be faithful to you. Even though you weren't faithful to me, I will be faithful to you and make you mine. And then you will finally know me. You will finally know me as the Lord. Listen, God wants you to know him. And not just know about him, but have a healthy, active, thriving relationship with him every single day. He wants you to be connected to his life, to recognize his voice, to walk with him in communion every single day as you might walk with a friend. Why? Because when you know this God, this love he has for you, it begins to flow into every other relationship you have in life. And when you are connected to, abiding in, and walking with the very source of love and life, you can't help but be transformed in every relationship you have. Because you know God, and you walk with this God. This God who is patient, this God who is kind, this God who keeps no record of wrongs, who does not rejoice at our suffering, but rejoices when the truth wins out. He never gives up on you. He never loses faith. He's filled with hope for your future. And he endures whatever the heck life will want to throw at you. God will never fail you. And if you know this God, not just intellectually, but experientially, you allow him to actually fill your life, it will absolutely transform every relationship you have with others. Even the ones that hurt you. Listen, God's desire is to know you and to be known by you. He wants a relationship with you that affects every other relationship you have in your life. Every other relationship you have in your life. He wants you to be in relationship with him that overflows with loving kindness because he is showing it to you and you're experiencing it and flowing out to everybody else. And he's willing to pay the ultimate price to get it. Hosea goes and he, he, he finds his wife in slavery. He goes and he finds her in this, this hole far from the love and safety of a God-centered relationship. But God's not done with her yet, just like he's not done with you yet. Hosea chapter 3, verse 1. The Lord said to me, he said, go, go and love your wife again. 
Go and love your wife again, even though she commits adultery with another lover. Because even though she hurts you, even though it was wrong, love keeps no record of wrongs. And this will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel. Even though the people have turned to other gods and love to worship them, because love never gives up. It never loses faith. It never loses hope. It is always hopeful for your future and endures through every circumstance. So Hosea goes, and he, he, he finds her in the market. Finds her on the street corner, battered and bruised, hungry and tired. And he goes and he buys her back for 30 pieces of silver. The same price for which Jesus was betrayed. This is a picture of our relationship with God. Because no matter how hard it gets, or how bad it gets, or how far you might feel from his love this morning, he never gives up on you. And he pays the price to bring you back. He goes to the darkest corners of our life and says, I'm willing to pay the price to call you back and make you my own. But instead of paying for your blood with some wine, with some grain, and a little bit of silver, he pays for your price with his very own blood. He calls you back and says, I'm going to bring you home. He sends Jesus to pay the ultimate price for our sins, for our mistakes, to die on a cross and be buried with the weight of all of our sin on his shoulders. That's how God loved you. He paid the price to bring you home, to to make you his own again, to be in relationship with you, to be known by you. Because God knows that your connection to him, it begins to affect every other relationship in your life. Every other relationship, whether it be your marriage, whether it's your family, whether it's your friendships, your coworkers, your kids, you want a healthy relationship with others? Start with your connection to God. My question for you this morning is simply this. How connected are you to the source of love this morning? Because he's calling you. He's calling you to experience this. He's calling you to experience this in your life and in your relationships. Something something better, something different, something more life-giving than what the world has called you to offer you. And he's calling us to a type of relationship that only comes from being connected to and abiding in and experiencing the love of God in your life. Because when you know this God and the love he has for you, man, it flows into every other relationship in your life. And until you are connected to the source of love and life, your relationships will always fall short of everything God has designed them to be. The healthy active, thriving relationships that are overflowing with love. The type of love that does not demand its own way. Love that is not irritable. Love that keeps no record of wrongs. Love that does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices when the truth wins out. Love that never gives up. Love that never loses faith. Love that always hopes, that endures through everything. Love that never fails. Are you connected to this love this morning? Are you experiencing this love in your life? As the band returns to you this morning to lead us in a song of worship, I want to ask you, how's your connection to God? And not not generally, not in the past, right now, in this moment, right here. How's your connection to God? 
If you could say on a scale of one to 10, 10 being the best it's ever been, one being I'm so far from him, I don't even know where he is. Where are you in your walk with God? It's just between you and him. How's your walk? Is it healthy? Is it active? Is it thriving? Or if you're honest with yourself, does it need some work? Because the health of that relationship will affect every other relationship you have in your life. Relationship with your spouse, relationship with your kids, relationship with your friends, relationships with your families, relationships that matter to you. And man, God's desire for you is that those relationships would flourish that you wouldn't experience less than what God has designed for you to have. But he says, in order for you to have this, you need to first be connected to me. You need to be first abiding with me. In my life, this looks the same as it does in everybody else's life. There's moments in my life where I feel disconnected from the love of God. Yes, your pastor does too. Your pastor's human. There's moments in my life where I miss the connection with Jesus. I don't spend time with him. I don't get along with him. I, I spend a day, a, a couple days, a week away from his love. I'm not in the word. I'm not in prayer. I'm not in community. I don't come to church, and I feel disconnected from him, from the source. I feel disconnected from his, his power and his grace. And then, and then, my relationship with Landra suffers. I'm, I'm less forgiving. I'm less patient. I'm less kind. I'm less generous. I'm less willing to overlook mistakes. I keep a laundry list in my head of all the things that she's done wrong, and, and these are the reasons why, and, and why you need to smarten up, and, and, and my relationship with her suffers because my relationship with God isn't right. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody experienced this in your life? Have you experienced this in your relationships? Can we be real this morning? Can we be real for a moment and say, man, when my relationship with God isn't right, my relationship with others sucks. I'm impatient. I'm selfish. I don't love the way I'm supposed to, even though I love her with all my heart. I committed to her. I'm having a child with her. She's my wife, and she's amazing. She deserves way more than that. And I know you would say the same thing about the relationships that matter to you in life. They deserve way more than what I'm giving them. And so then what the enemy does, watch this, then what the enemy does and says, look how bad you are. Look how terrible you are. You don't deserve to be in a relationship with God. And you don't deserve to be in a relationship with them. And so he takes that exact thing that God is trying to heal, and he uses it as a wedge to drive you further from his love. You see this? He takes that very guilt thing that you are trying to recover and get on the right track with, and he says, I'm going to use that to separate you further from other people. But you have a choice this morning. You have a choice to say, no, I'm going to accept that lie, and run away from other people, isolate myself, isolate myself from God, isolate myself from others, because I'm so bad, I'm so dirty, or you can run to the love of Jesus this morning. And you can accept his love and grace for you. No matter what you've done, no matter how far you feel, no matter what's been going on in your life, love is patient, love is kind, it keeps no record of your wrongs, it always hopes for your future, endures and brings you back. Why? Because when we're connected to the source, we're producing this out of our lives. Some of you here today have been trying for years to fix your marriage out of your own strength and out of your own ability, and it simply hasn't been working. You've been pulling it up by your own bootstraps. But listen, you're pumping from an empty well this morning. You can't take others where you haven't been yourself. Turn to Jesus this morning. 
connect to the source of love and life. Man, some of you have been struggling with your temper for years. You've been losing it on your kids. You've been losing it on your spouse. You've been losing it on your coworkers. You're wondering, why can't I get this under control? I'm trying. I'm doing my best. You've hurt the relationships that matter most to you in life. And it's put distance between those that you love. For years, you've been trying to fix it on your own strength and get it under control. Listen, connect to Jesus this morning. Don't be disconnected from his love. Connect to the source of patience. Connect to the source of enduring love. Man, some of you guys are easily offended. Someone says a small comment and it ruins your day. Simple comment just completely puts you in the dirt. Listen, connect to the one who endures through pain, who has hope for your future, who is walking with you in every situation of life. Listen, it's as simple as this. The health and vitality of your relationships starts with your connection to God. And God is calling you to experience this in your life. God is calling you to experience this connection in your life. Man, he wants your marriage to thrive. Not just survive. Don't just make it through the years because you feel you have to. God wants it to be a source of joy within your heart. He wants it to fill your life. He doesn't want your kids to hate you and be far from you. He wants to be in relationship with you. Those relationships are a reflection of our relationship to him. So this morning, man, I believe God is calling us to healthier relationships. He's calling you to healthier relationships. But he's calling you to start with your relationship with him. So how you doing this morning? Let's stand in this morning as we take the lights down for a moment. We're going to sing this song in just a moment. I want to invite you to consider, man, how's your relationship with God this morning? How's it been this week? How's it been this month? How's it been this year? And how have your relationships with others reflected that? God is calling you closer this morning. He's calling you deeper this morning into a loving relationship with him that flows into every other relationship that matters to you in life. But some of us, some of us have put up our walls We've put up our reasons, our reasons why we can't, our reasons why we couldn't, our reasons why we don't do it. Excuses of, of time. I'm too busy. I don't have time. Maybe later, maybe when I'm older, maybe not now. Excuses of sin. Man, I, I'm too bad. I'm too dirty. You don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've been watching. You don't know what I've been looking at and listening to. Listen, Jesus comes to you in the marketplace, just like Hosea went to Gomer. And he picks you up with loving kindness. He says, I'm bringing you home. I've got a place for you. With all her dirt, with all her excuses, she just had to be willing to let them go. And I want to invite you this morning to let your excuses go. Man, what has disconnected you from the love of God this morning? Maybe it's sin. Something in your heart that you know isn't right. You just begin to confess and repent of that right now. Say, God, I know it's not right. Forgive me of my brokenness. Lord, forgive me. Make me right. Make this relationship with you right. Maybe it's busyness. Man, you've got to get your priorities in line. You're busy with a hundred other things. None of them gives you heart in life. It just steals your relationship with Jesus and kills your relationship with others. Kill busyness in your life this morning. Man, maybe it's attitudes. You've got attitudes in your heart and your life. You've been holding up bitterness and cynicism, pain for years. Let your walls down this morning. As we worship, as we pray, I want to just invite you to just begin to lift your hands and surrender and give them over to Jesus. So lifting our hands is a twofold symbol. Number one, it's surrender. 
But number two, it's victory. When you lift your hands in victory and surrender, you experience both at the very same time. Freedom from whatever it is you've been holding on to and victory in your life. Jesus is calling you home this morning into relationship with him. He wants to know you this morning and have his love be known in you. Let's worship the Lord for a moment.